Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation just around, uh, you know, what's going on in and around the economy, but more specifically, um, how uh, the economy is affecting, um, you know, consumers and, you know, some of the issues that uh, the consumer class in South Africa is facing and, uh, you know, everything that's uh, going on. So it is is an interesting one especially given um, you know all the load shedding uh, that we are facing at the time of recording currently at around uh, stage six which feels like stage 10 um, at this point uh, but we get into what else um, consumers are facing out there and all of this is based on a new report and study uh, that has been done by the team over at momentum and we're going to be talking to uh, Sanisha Pakirasami who is an economist um, over at Momentum Investments just to understand, you know, some of the insights that they've been able to glean. Uh, Sanisha has been with us on a number of occasions and, uh, you know, we're just going to be seeing, you know, for today uh, what their study has revealed. Sanisha, greetings to you today. Hi, Maduets. Lovely to be chatting with you again. Now, thank you so much, uh, you know, for being with us uh, for today and especially just given everything that's going on. Uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of barometers, a lot of readings, um, you know, that are out there, you know, to sort of give us a little bit of a pulse check um, around the economy. What is your consumer pulse report for the third quarter, you know, sort of telling us, you know, about uh, the state of the economy? Unfortunately, Madiwa, it's not really a pretty story for the consumer heading into 2023. We are actually anticipating a slowdown in consumer spending, given that the outlook for consumers looks relatively bleak if we look at some of the leading indicators. Um, you know, we had household consumption being one of the main drivers of growth together with exports last year. And it's probably going to be the same thing for this year. But heading into next year, we are expecting that that contribution from the consumer starts to slow. Um, and when it comes to, you know, something like that, uh, I guess, what are some of the, you know, aspects that you guys were taking into consideration? Because I'm pretty sure uh, that you have to take a number of different factors into consideration. And in taking those factors into consideration, uh, how, were, how are things being weighted? Uh, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, for example, the way that something like um, food and fuel would have, you know, weighed on, you know, whether it's consumer sentiment, consumer pockets um, two years ago is not what it is today. Exactly, Madhu. And I think, you know, there's also quite a, a big differential when it comes to low-income consumers and high-income consumers. So what was quite striking in the consumer sentiment index that was published from the Bureau of Economic Research for the third quarter of the year is that we actually had um, a less pessimistic outlook from the lower-income earners than the higher income earners, which may strike you as odd because low income earners are by far uh, more exposed to food costs and fuel costs, which we know have escalated tremendously in the last couple of months. However, remember that for your low income earners, they have also been the recipients of social grants. In particular, the social relief of distress grant was increased in terms of the amount that's given out, and it was also increased in terms of the duration. And we do believe that that formed a bit of a kicker for sentiment for your lower income earners. 
We also tried to look at employment growth and we split it out between the employment growth for skilled workers, which is predominantly in your high income space versus the employment growth for your unskilled and semi-skilled workers, which are predominantly in your lower income earning jobs. And there was actually quite a sharp recovery that came through, albeit from a very low base, and we haven't quite yet made up those pre-COVID-19 levels, but that year-on-year growth rate for the last couple of quarters was close on 2%. And we also believe that that was then a kicker for your lower income earner sentiment. However, if you look at your upper income earners sentiment, they're quite driven by increases in the interest rate, given that they are most exposed to things like mortgages or vehicle finance. And of course, we are anticipating further interest rate hikes in this horizon, given the elevated inflation that we're currently experiencing. And that means that more money is going to go towards servicing debt bills for uh, upper income earners, and that has been a compressing sentiment for your higher income earners in the recent readings. You know, what's actually quite interesting um, is, I guess, that delineation between uh, the things that affect um, the different income, uh, the different income groups, and I guess that speaks to the duality in the economy that is often, um, you know, spoken about the, you know, the so-called, you know, first and third world characteristics, um, you know, of the South African economy. But I wanted to just uh, zero in on, um, you know, the employment aspect that you. Um, just highlighted now, you know, the skilled uh, versus the semi-skilled and the unskilled, you know, sort of segments, um, you know, in the economy, because we had that, those numbers that came out of Stats SA a couple of weeks ago to say that um, we did see a bump up in uh, employment, um, a couple of, uh, you know, it should be for the second quarter quarter if i'm if i remember correctly and um i i guess the question is just about in terms of where we are now of course you want to be able to create jobs across the board um but where should we be concentrating the efforts should it be more in the skilled semi-skilled or unskilled uh, sort of parts of the market to really make a dent um, when it comes to that employment factor in the economy Yes, yes. So these employment numbers were for the second quarter of the year. And um, even though the numbers looked reasonably good, I didn't get terribly excited about them. Because when you look at employment numbers indexed to 2019 levels, in other words, how have we recovered in the employment market since COVID-19? There are massive gaps in the labor market and we're still bleeding jobs in a number of sectors. Um, We've actually seen a jobs recovery coming through for the agriculture sector and what they call community services, which is largely government. But outside of that, we are still bleeding jobs in the manufacturing sectors, the construction sectors, even in the trade sectors. And uh, this for me is quite worrying because we seem to be um, still elevated in terms of the structural unemployment issue in South Africa that will continue to hinder progress in in household spending for for years to come. Um, If we look at that breakdown between the skilled and semi-skilled and unskilled worker base, The skilled workers are really your managers and professionals in the economy. They actually weathered the COVID-19 storm pretty well. So we didn't actually see as many jobs being lost um, in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we actually saw earnings uh, coming back quite strongly for that sector of the market. Um, If we look at the number of jobs, we've actually recouped all of the jobs that have been lost for your skilled workforce. And I think, you know, some of this comes through in terms of noting the high immigration statistics 
um, with uh, a lot of the skilled workers actually leaving South Africa. Um, and so that stands to reason that we would have then tried to, to make up those uh, job losses reasonably quickly. However, if you look at your semi-skilled and your unskilled worker base, we have such an oversupply of unskilled and semi-skilled workers relative to the composition of South Africa's economy that then stands to reason that we haven't actually been able to recoup all those jobs that were lost during the pandemic for your lower income earners. And that's exactly what you're seeing in the data. I think we're around 5% lower than pre-pandemic levels for your semi-skilled and your unskilled workers. So even though that year-on-year growth bounce came through quite sharply for that category of jobs, if you look at it relative to the pre-pandemic levels, um, we are still falling short of the numbers that we saw during the course of 2019. I think putting it like that, you know, really, you know, gets us uh, some context into what those uh, those employment figures look like. And uh, I guess on the semi-skilled and unskilled, you know, parts um, of that equation, you know, a little bit more work uh, really does need to be done. And uh, you're actually not the first person that I've heard, you know, saying that, um, you know, that bump up that we did see in the second quarter wasn't something that, you know, people, you know, yes, it's something that, you know, it's it's a it's a positive sign, uh, but it's not nearly enough. Um, you know, to address some of the structural problems that uh, you know um, that we are seeing over in the economy. But outside of that, uh, you know, what of uh, you know consumer spending and the like? If we look at the retail sales figures, there are actually some interesting um, details that are coming up. So if we look at the post. COVID-19 bounce. Um, there were a lot of sectors that obviously didn't experience a lot of spending because it was difficult for consumers to go out and do their face-to-face services um, or to go to large gatherings or to even dine out or do any sort of tourism activity. And so we saw um, that most of those categories suffered uh, quite a loss in, in sort of the retail side during that period. Then as your lockdown started to ease more aggressively, we then saw that spending, and we almost think it's like pent-up spending in a lot of these categories came back quite sharply. So it's quite notable that if you look at the retail categories out there or the household consumption categories, there was a very strong bounce back in the last couple of quarters for uh, sectors like restaurants and hotels. Um, Even the clothing spend picked up quite dramatically. We know that throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, people were eating more at home. So food sales were quite high during that period relative to services spend, which was quite low. We know that a lot of people spent money on uh, desks and so forth to to get themselves fully fitted out at home so they could do the, the work from home trains. And as a result, we saw that furniture sales were reasonably strong. Now that we've had that pent up demand coming through um, and, you know, a lot of that has you know, in the wash right now. So that means that going forward, we're likely to see spending in those categories coming off a bit. And uh, with the very high fuel and food prices and higher interest rate costs that are hitting the consumer right now, we would expect that consumers are going to start shifting their spending patterns towards buying more of your your non-discretionary items and really focusing their basket spend on those areas and spending less on luxury and discretionary goods. And we already saw some of that being indicated in the uh, quarterly bulletin data that was released for household spending um, and starting to see that shift taking place because of the pressures that are now mounting for the consumer. 
You know, one of the things that is, uh, you know, quite fascinating about, you know, everything that's going on is it always feels as if you take one step, uh, you take one step forward and uh, literally five, ten steps back, you know, when it comes to the recovery that, uh, you know, that we have right now. We talk about the pent up demand. You know, for example, that um, is now, you know, coming coming back um, into the that is coming back into the economy. And that's been a good uh, that's been a good thing. But, you know, that then gets stifled in a big way by um, what's going on in terms of I think earlier in the year we had a conversation with you about uh, the, the impact, the potential impact that the Russia Ukraine war, you know, would have on, you know, on economies. And we've seen that, uh, you know, largely playing out. Now we talk about food, uh, food inflation, transport inflation, fuel inflation, and that seems to stifle. Um, so well, you, yes, there's pent up demand, but you know, what then happens when you are now reprioritizing your, uh, resources towards some of that essential spending? And then at the same time, um, I think the one thing that we cannot deny that's going on in the economy um, is uh, is load shedding. We said at the beginning that uh, South Africa finds itself at uh, stage six at the time of recording on the 19th of September 2022. Um, you know, what do you make of all of these factors, you know, as they continue to weigh, um, you know, on uh, on consumers in South Africa. I guess this is us now sort of saying, where are we now and how how is this likely uh, going to now affect us um, going forward for the rest of the year? Sure, Madiba. You know, the load shedding issue is a big net negative on the South African economy. There are various forecasts out there in terms of how much growth will be dampened uh, given the load shedding that we've experienced. I mean, we already saw that in the second quarter of the year, uh, we had a magnificent growth dip. And part of that was because of the KwaZulu-Natal flood damage, which hurt the agriculture and manufacturing sectors. But a big chunk of that growth dip also came through from the fact that we had reached much higher levels of load shedding. And of course, now uh, with the recovery penciled in for the second half of the year relative to the first half, uh, increased incidence of load shedding then takes away from that recovery. Uh, we believe that you know consumers do feel quite deflated in an environment where you reach stage six load shedding. Um, it's very negative on consumer psyche. If you are out shopping, as an example, and all the lights go off in the shopping mall and you are in one of the smaller boutique stores that maybe don't have a backup generator, their speed points don't work, the security cameras don't work, and so now they have to close for a couple of hours, you can't actually do that purchase. So that means that there will be a dent to consumer spending. We also believe that the increased incidence of load shedding will be very negative for the business environment and for inward investment into South Africa. You know, businesses don't want to lay out new capital if they're not quite certain if the energy supply and security are going to be there. Um, and as a result, we're not only impacting near-term growth by impacting longer-term investment decisions, we are also impacting long-term trend growth. Um, and so, unfortunately, you know, the, the increased incidence of load shedding um, is, is only viewed as a, as a negative at this stage. Um, we would hope, of course, that the increased incidence of load shedding really kicks government into gear 
in order to accelerate those energy sector reform plans um, in order to secure a high level of energy and to uh, try and get investment back into the country and to get our own South African firms to lay out more capital. I can I can definitely attest, you know, to what you're saying just now about how, um, you know, issues like load shedding can have a deflating effect, um, you know, on consumer sentiment. You know, where where I'm staying, um, you know, in Johannesburg, we haven't had, you know, at the time of recording right now, we haven't had um electricity for about eighteen hours now, uh, because you have situations where yes, there's load shedding, but the moment it's meant to come back, you hear that there's been a fault at the substation, and now you know they have to go out and fix that fault, and that usually means you've got you know even more hours um you know for electricity not being there, and for us that's ended up being you know eighteen hours, and that's just us being at home and you seeing uh we have uh there's a whatsapp group you know with various uh with various people that stay in the area and you can see how people are affected you know from that point of view and i think you know as we're rounding up sanisha maybe we can uh you know turn our attention to um how um maybe whether it's consumers or businesses the type of spending right um you just highlighted now that you know for businesses that you you then have a reluctance for capital outlay um because you're not sure whether or not you know certain types of capital expenditure will be able to be supported um you know by you know the current power situation uh but i'm just thinking about you know you talk to uh, some of these telecoms operators, for example, they tell you how much they're spending on diesel. Um, I think the likes of MTN have disclosed that they spend 400, they spend money on 400,000 liters worth of diesel every month just to keep their network sites alive during load shedding. And one can imagine that on a consumer level, that there's new types of spending that have had to come in, alternative power. And uh, I think I, I, I heard, um, you know, uh, people from uh, another part of your business at Momentum, the insurance side, talking about how household insurance for appliances has now become one of those things that uh, has become a necessity. You know, you have load shedding, it might trip or, you know, uh, overload uh, appliances, TVs, fridges, that type of thing. How do you see all of that playing out? And that's a very interesting thing that you mentioned, because those trends certainly are becoming more entrenched in consumer spending, even if I think about it anecdotally in my own monthly bills. Um, you know, as a result of more of the spending shifting from discretionary into necessity spend, it just means that you just have less money at the end of the month to buy those discretionary goods items. And as a result, we are likely to see that shift happening in the consumption expenditure patterns, where, again, your costs for things like food and fuel and necessities tend to go and insurance tend to go up. Um, whereas your more discretionary spend on luxury goods or uh, furniture that you maybe don't need because the replacement cycle is not yet complete or you delay purchases um, of your more luxury goods items. And I think that's going to take place more and more going forward as we then start to see uh, more items being included into our necessity spend in South Africa, given the failures that we're seeing on the energy sector side. 
No, most certainly, and we wait to see how all of that, uh, you know, then uh, develops over time. And as you said earlier on, hopefully, um, you know, where we are on a power level, you know, does kick government, you know, into action, um, you know, a little bit more. On the last point, Sanisha, just uh, maybe uh, we could end off on a positive, if there are any positives, because, um, you know, quite, um, you know, uh, somber note in terms of uh, the reporting that you were giving to us earlier on in terms of what you guys are seeing in terms of the consumer pulse. And then also at the same time talking about uh, all these shifts and all the pressures on consumers, load shedding and all of that very, you know, negative, uh, you know, sort of sentiment uh, that you know things like that do drum up but are there any positives that you are seeing any green shoots um, at all you know that you're seeing in the economy Mm. so maybe i'll give you two points Uh, you know i think the first is that we are nearing the medium-term budget for the 26th of october and we are likely to see a number that's going to be better than what national treasury expected Unfortunately, it's not because of better growth in South Africa, but it is largely coming through from a commodity price boom, and those revenues have supported the mining industry, Um, and that's likely to see a a much better print coming out um, come October. So that's the first piece of good news, I think, that us as consumers can look out for. Um, The second factor, and and maybe it's a bit of a cop-out here, but, you know, Misery does love company, and South Africa is, is not in the boat alone. We are all sitting in the Titanic right now on a global scale. Um, If you think about many countries in the European Union that are now facing gas shortages and very elevated prices for the gas that they can actually obtain, we've seen energy and utility bills for households in Europe skyrocket. So even though here we're also seeing, um, you know, a bit of a displacement from luxury and discretionary goods spending into more necessity spending, we are not alone. There are a number of countries out there that are facing a very similar situation because there are very few countries that have actually managed to escape the high and rising food and fuel inflation that we've seen on a more global scale. Now, most certainly, uh, you know, from that point of view, I like that, you know, misery does love company. And it's true, you know, around the world, energy is a huge issue uh, that is uh, affecting people in South Africa. You know, it's electricity, it's fuel prices. In other parts of the world, like what Sanisha is talking about, you have, um, you know, the gas issue, you know, um, around uh, the Russia-Ukraine war and how, you know, all of those gas supplies have been affected. And especially right now, as those countries are moving you know further into winter um you know those debates are definitely going to become louder um over the coming weeks as people decide how they're going to respond and actually keep warm um you know in those winter months so that's been it you know very fascinating discussion talking to uh sanisha just around you know uh consumer pulse uh study that they've uh, you know released recently and uh, talking about uh, the various aspects uh, that consumers are facing at the moment, whether it's on the retail side, um, whether in terms of you know changes in uh, spending, uh, the recovery in the economy, but one of the big notes uh, that we do see is the fact that uh, we do find ourselves in a situation where whatever recovery had been penned uh, penned in for 2022 seems to be stifled somewhat by you know a lot of these uh, factors such as the Russia-Ukraine war, and then now we talk about issues of load shedding. You know all of these things work 
working um, to shift uh, the balance in how uh, consumers actually choose to spend uh, their money, right? You you decide that you're going to maybe uh, go in, in favor of prioritizing um, some of that essential spending around food, around uh, transport, around fuel, you know, around backup energy, or, you know, trying to mitigate uh, the impacts of load shedding. And that uh, does, you know, quite a bit to erode whatever discretionary incomes um, will be there. But outside of that, uh, you know, just one or two green shoots, he does, um, you know, point to um, commodity pricing uh, being one of those things that's likely to support, um, you know, the country's uh, balance sheet because of commodity prices, hopefully to be a positive when we uh, see that midterm budget at the end of the at uh, the end of October. So that's been it for today. Uh, Sanisha is an economist over at Momentum Investments. Sanisha, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Maduro. Always great chatting. This is Maduro's take. Very fascinating discussion, and I think, you know, you've got those two big points um, that uh, I'd like to highlight. The first one um, being the fact that uh, consumers do continue to be under pressure. It's a theme that we've been running with, you know, throughout the year, and one would have thought that at least by now in the second half of the year uh, that this would be something that, uh, you know, would be getting a little bit better, but it seems um, that, as we said, you know, one step, uh, one step forward five steps back um you know especially load shedding is going to be one of those things uh, that people really do need uh you know to fix someone was asking earlier on and i remember giving the example someone was like what's actually going on you know there and uh there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are going on but just a quick read on the situation um would be that you know from a technical point of view it's it's clear that the infrastructure um is old you know and then uh, on, a, on a leadership level that there's been mismanagement because uh, despite the fact that as early as 1998, we knew that these things were coming, you know, not enough was done. And when it was done, we had the cost overruns and, um, you know, the things that we've seen with Kusile and Medubi, uh, right? And then uh, one of the examples, you know, that's, that I gave is that... Uh, when you look at what's been going on, it's like if someone gave you, um, you know, the advice, a mechanic told you that you need to overhaul the engine in your car by the end of the year. Uh, but instead of doing that, you simply do the bare minimum just to keep the car uh, moving. And it does, you know, for a couple of months, maybe even a year or two. And then suddenly, you know, it starts breaking down, you know, every time you go to work and you're surprised. But you had the warning, you know, that you should have overhauled your engine engine uh, but instead of doing that you did the bare minimum just to keep it moving don't be surprised that one day when it does decide uh, to break down the way that it does and i think that leads us nicely to the second piece and that's that over the coming uh, few years we've said it before here but i think uh, where we are right now does emphasize it a bit more a lot of opportunity exists in the energy sector right now and this is globally not only in south africa and south africa uh, especially around electricity but around the world a lot of opportunity around natural gas um, you know alternative power we see electric vehicles all of that um, there's huge opportunity in the energy sector right now and we're likely in the same way that we saw a big transference of wealth uh, because of technology um, over the last uh, decade or two i think 
think we're likely going to see um, a similar uh, transference of wealth um, in the energy sector. That used to, that was actually the case at the turn of the 20th century. You know, when you think about the likes of John D. Rockefeller and the like, who were uh, the big oil barons at the time. Except that now it's no longer about um, oil. You know, you're looking at other um, energy energy sectors. But people do need uh, to get around. People do need to have lights on. Industries need to be able to churn, and all of that needs energy. All of that is currently in deficit and anyone who can help uh, to plug the holes in a meaningful way at the moment, uh, there's huge opportunity um, in that respect. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.